Hey, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Long Lost Heroes podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Frank Marsilio, and we're here to recap episode four of the seventh season of Game of Thrones, The Spoils of War, which aired Sunday, August 6th. Uh, we're going to go into full spoiler detail, so if you haven't watched the episode, please come back, uh, watch it first, and then listen and go into detail with us. But first, I would love to introduce to you my co-host, AJ Sherman. How you doing, buddy? Hello, everybody. And we have some very special guests this week from the Game Brew podcast. Uh, my buddies from JMU, uh, Chris Wrights and Dan Rotz. How are you guys doing? Hey, so glad Hi. to be here. I'm super excited. It's great to have you guys here. Um, AJ and I, uh, they invited us to the Game Brew podcast last week, um, and it was so much fun. Um, and so we are continuing this crossover into the Long Lost Heroes side uh, with a, a Game of Thrones recap. Um, uh, not all of the members, <laughs> not all of the members watched, so we we had to kind of improvise. But um, much like the Infinity War, Secret Wars, or when DC and Marvel crossed over, there was a crazy event that happened in one comic, and then we lost some characters and began it on another comic <laughs> with other yeah, characters. Exactly. So perfect. One, yeah, everyone just... else on the Game Brew is dead. If you've listened to, <laughs> yeah, they're gone. If you haven't listened. They, they died. It's rough. Sorry. Because I mean, let's be real. If you if you're not dead, you should be watching Game of Thrones. Agreed. <laughs> it has been really fun for us because I think, uh, first of all, just as a general population, how cool is it that Game of Thrones like exists in the consciousness of all of our lives? Like, I feel like it's pervasive. Like now, like there's ads there's articles coming out that are doing the same clickbait as we are from washington post new york times abc nbc all the major networks they're all talking about this and i just think it's such a cool fever pitch of geek and nerd culture combining with just the rest of the culture at the same time uh and dude i'm just down on this chris what are you well, what are your thoughts man i mean it's getting so pervasive that even the or the baltimore orioles are doing um, a night that they're doing Game of Thrones night. Basically, they're giving out T-shirts, and awesome. it's about Adam Jones protecting the wall. Like, <laughs> oh, it's kind God. of awesome. That is oh, that's awesome. Funny. That's great. But it's just so pervasive in our culture now. It's everywhere. Well, just to tease a little bit for the end of this episode, uh, we recorded uh, with the rest of the the Game Brew podcast, uh, and we have a very exclusive uh, chat on there that we're going to tag at the end of this episode, but. I wanted to give this uh, opportunity to you guys to kind of pitch your podcast as you did for us, which we definitely appreciate. So, so Dan, you want to talk a little bit about what you guys do? Uh, no, up. not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, totally. Uh, so we are, as Frank said, we are the Game Brew Podcast. Um, Chris and I are members of the Game Brew crew. Um, and we the basically, our podcast is a group of guys – uh, we all went to college together. We all played the tuba together uh, at some we point. We did. Um, and uh, not one tuba. We all had our own tubas. <laughs> uh, we shared. So there was important some distinction. We shared. <laughs> oh, we shared some tubas. No one could play mine, so that's why I was <laughs> big Willie. Tuba, big Willie. Um, but uh, yeah, we you know we sit. We it's kind of just a bunch of guys talking about uh, video games. We drink beer. Or we pick a beer that we drink while we play the video games or while we talk about the video games. But it's not just, you know, oh, this game is good, this game is bad. Uh, we like to go a little bit beyond what is, uh, what are, what video games are, rather. And 
kind of talk about them in relation to our daily lives, uh, in relation to social stigmas, uh, in relation to just kind of, you know, uh, different ways to view them. Um, and then sometimes we make each other play stupid stuff or play Counter-Strike Go for 12 hours. Which <laughs> I'm so salty about that. I, I, know salty. Yeah. I know you are. Um, but if you want to check us out, uh, you can. we're on thegamebrew.com, uh, facebook.com slash thegamebrew, or just type thegamebrew into the search thing in Facebook, uh, or on Twitter and Instagram, at thegamebrew. Um, and you can subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play. Uh, if you listen, you know, leave us a review. Send us an email uh, at thegamebrew at gmail.com. Also, I always read them uh, when we get one. I'll let you know what it says. Yeah, and if you, you hit us up, we might even give you a free game. Who knows? Yeah. Ooh. Who doesn't oh, like We're known to do shit. that. Oh. I'm going to email like you guys. Shit. Oh, well. <laughs> well, and, and just to tease, like, like we said, we had the crossover and as of as we speak right now that has dropped so go check out episode 10 of the game brew podcast and all of their other episodes i'm sure you guys have more coming up to, soon too so uh but hopefully yeah well, everyone's dead now we hope so like yeah. I said earlier, it's just so. me and dan of note though some the episodes that they drop have really excellent names like mr gorbachev drink down this wall that's obviously <laughs> my favorite like there's been I I really dig what you guys are putting together and putting out there. I think that it is done in, in a really unique way. And for any listeners that are, you know, maybe hoping, you know, me and Frank talk about PlayStation or, you know, <laughs> we get into m more deep dabbing on games, please, please, please check out the Game Brew podcast. These guys are awesome and uh, so oh, happy thanks. to have them uh, join us for one of our Game of Thrones Season 7 episode recaps. It, oh, really? We're really happy to be yeah. here. Yeah, thanks, guys. Well, so without further ado, let's let's dive in. So, please, I'm dying to. So, obviously, AJ and I have uh, uh, we've we've recapped the season so far. But like before we get into this episode, Chris and Dan, do you guys have any specific thoughts on the season so far that really have stood out to you, or or anything like that? Um, for me, the thing that's really stood out is just the speed that we're going. Um, it feels like in the previous seasons we've kind of like seen pretty small steps between episodes and this season you have a bunch of stuff that happens and then there's probably a month of just people moving around like yeah in one episode yeah. you have Jon Snow talking about going to the south and then he's there at Dragonstone he's there. like and yeah. the next episode which I feel like in previous episodes that would have taken him like almost the entire season, season. to get there yeah. <laughs> uh, I dig that and then how did all the the Dothraki get to uh, where they were supposed to be this past episode at the end. It's so I, fast. I, the pace of this of the season, I do agree. It's moving wicked, wicked fast. But I'm enjoying it. And I think that we're all enjoying it just collectively because we finally get to see payoff battle, payoff reunion, payoff battle, build, 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 whatever. Oh, yeah. It's been like – it's been that way the whole – Time where you're just like, oh look, oh Ari is gonna be, oh they're gonna, oh never mind, it's not gonna. <laughs> it's yeah, like, like, oh, I got Oh, she didn't make it. No, it's fine. Yeah, I mean they they basically in the past seasons they're they're really following the format of the books, and at this point they're you know I'm sure they have a generic outline from George R. R. Martin, but they're they're treating it more of like a TV show at this point and they're structuring the season in that way and even a, a short season of seven episodes it's it's flying by you know i you know 
episode one, two, three, and four so far have had these huge battles, these epic scenes that, you know, maybe in previous seasons we only would have one episode like that in a season. So yeah. to have that co- yeah. constantly moving forward, it, it it's crazy. <laughs> and you, you, we don't think we're going to get it. It's like, oh, maybe it'll be a quiet episode. And, you know, and we get a little bit of that. But, yeah. So, so, so far you guys are enjoying the season. It, it's oh, satisfying yeah. you. Yeah, it is. I, I am. I am completely satisfied so far. Great. Well, you know, I think this episode. I don't know. It, it might be the peak for me so far. It, it that's hard to say, at least in the season. But um, so I think one of the the big things that happened. Obviously, we've got a huge reunion here. We've got more Starks coming yes. back together in Winterfell. So. We've got Starking it up. Oh yeah. So we've got Arya making her way to Winterfell and reuniting with Sansa. Like I know we were probably expecting this for a long time, but like initial thoughts, like what did you guys think of seeing them together for the first time since like the pilot? I mean, I think it's really interesting, uh, just to see their reaction to the other person being back. Like, you feel like oh maybe they'll be happy that they're there and like they are but so far it's like Sansa and Bran like Bran came back and they hugged but then they were just like super somber and then and the same thing happened and then the same thing <laughs> happened with Arya and Sansa they came and it was like oh they hugged and like blah blah and then everything was really somber again and it's like I get it you know it's pretty a rough rough stuff when your entire family's basically dead but you know uh, sad I mean, I think it just shows that they've all grown so much and they've experienced so much in sh- such a short period amount of time that they don't really know each other anymore. Like they and they they love that they're alive and they get to see them, but they're not the same people they were when they left. Yeah, it's wild. Um, I think it's so interesting to kind of see the two of them specifically come back together, Arya and Bran, because if the Starks are the X Men. Like then, Brand's Brand, Professor X. Brand's <laughs> Professor X. But also, they're two of your they're two of your strongest powered team members at at this point, in terms of battle capability and also like the life experiences that they they've had. They're pretty far up there. John, will you know? Is he really a Stark? But either way, those are your kind of your two leading battle players, and to kind of see them both kind of recognize like you've been through the shit and like Bran obviously knows all the things that Arya has been through and done and experienced as you know becoming a faceless man slash person you know that they've she's kind of been on this journey uh I'd be interested to know you know what Sansa is thinking because I feel like of all the Stark kids at this point there's the most ambiguity I think with her uh, it ju- it doesn't look good, but I'm uh, I'm curious to just have her kind of feelings spill out, you know, about all of everybody coming back together. What do you think about all that, Frank? Yeah, I mean, I think Sansa of all the the Star kids at this point are is the one that's most playing the game. Um, oh, of course. So, and obviously, she's very much influenced by Littlefinger. But uh, yeah, I, I think having someone like Bran in her corner that you know might be t- telling her her things that maybe she shouldn't know um and then to have someone like Arya at her disposal that can can kill pretty much anybody like uh, it's 
I, I do think that they're, the, the other shoe is going to drop at this point because it's like, oh, we've been waiting for them to come back together for so long, but like, what what happens next? Like, I don't expect Arya to go, you know, fight the wildlings, but Chris and then Dan, what do you think? Um, I mean, what you said about Bran, like, I don't know if Bran's really in her corner, though. I think Bran's just kind of in his own corner. I mean, he's he basically said he's not Bran anymore in, the, in this episode. Oh, I he's, totally agree he's, with you. He's gone. <laughs> he is like, the three-eyed raven. He's, he's no longer... Yeah, he's the three-eyed raven. Max von Sydow. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. Uh, it's cool that he has, like, that kind of cool, like, you know, fifth-dimensional uh, omnipotence, I guess. Uh, I'm... <sighs> What I want to, like, kind of have done that, you know, I think is kind of is, is interesting that they did in this episode is they show you exactly what Littlefinger is always trying to do. He's always trying to get in there. He's always trying to wiggle his way in there by offering Bran the Valyrian steel dagger. He's obviously trying to make good on him, obviously trying to, you know, weave his way. And when you see Bran react to him and he's like, chaos is a ladder... Like, oh my god, he gets him exact he knows exactly what's going on. His jig is up. It's over. So I my question is, is does Bran you know at that point when he's receiving the dagger be like, Oh my god, like, you know, am I giving this to Arya? Or is or does he just like passing it along? Is he a vessel? Is he watching Game of Thrones like us? Or is he still participating? No. I mean I think he's like He's definitely an active participant in what's going on, uh, even though he's since he is crippled and he keeps saying, he's like, I'm a cripple. I can't do anything with that stuff. But he's the three eyed raven. So he sees all this stuff happening. So but I think he was so just kind of nonplussed by Littlefinger giving him the dagger and <laughs> Littlefinger expected so much of it sure. like that. It just kind of nothing happened. But it's also kind of like. I was reading an article today uh, in the short break I had during band camp about the whole about Sansa and Arya and uh, Bran in this episode specifically um, and about how we kind of get a deeper look into their like their psyche. I mean, we heard from Sansa in the first episode about how whenever they started, like remember in season one that they were all kids, so they really didn't have personalities and in so much as they were being shaped by other people around them uh so in episode one of the season uh sansa says that she learned a lot from cersei um and then in the and bran obviously he's been you know he's the three-eyed raven now so he's been you know manipulated and kind of touched by this all this otherworldly warg powers that he has and being and this all in this sight that he has um and we get in this episode a chance to see kind of the person that Arya's become whenever she fights with Brienne of Tarth um, in the end of that episode it was an awesome fight but also just kind of it shows you that she's been shaped into this new she's not Arya Stark that we like think about coming back to Winterfell she's this new kind of Arya Stark especially whenever she says who taught you how to fight like that and she says no, no one that was badass and i would because i thought she was gonna say uh Sirio pharrell um but then i was like oh that's a way like better thing to say because that's yeah. more about like what shaped her 
into this vengeful, like cutthroat, almost super cold person who's extremely deadly and a di- very different Arya from the first Arya that we met in the series. Yeah, and I think there's a reason that she's got the dagger. And uh, I think as much that uh, Bran isn't so much playing the game as some of the other characters are, I think that he sees the future and he knows what's supposed to happen. And so he's like, well, I have no reason to have this, but I've seen, you know, that Arya has this dagger or, you know, maybe there's a reason why he gives it to her and maybe she's going to kill somebody important a la maybe even Littlefinger, you know, come back to bite him in the ass. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say is that I think it was more, he's, he's not participating. He's just progressing the story that has to happen because that's the destiny of these players in the game. So Chris, you've read the books, right? I have. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about this dagger because I feel like, people who are casual viewers and especially viewers who are all caught up on it now may not fully kind of realize the import, also the history of where this dagger kind of comes from. Well, the whole thing with this dagger is that it was given, it was given, it was a dagger that belonged to Littlefinger that he said he won from Tyrion or Tyrion won from him, I believe. And um, so the whole idea was that it was Tyrion that, gave the dagger to someone to kill Bran. But I believe that it was more that it was Littlefinger just kind of starting shit or someone starting shit. I don't think it's ever really revealed exactly who, how it was given. It's always been kind of a, a mystery, but it, it, it did set up the entire situation of the, the battle of the Kings. The, yeah. The war of the five and Kings. Yeah. Battle of the five Kings. And yeah. Because it just set that whole thing rolling. It's a little bit different in the show than it is in the books. Um, they kind of have a little bit more concrete resolution in the books as to who really owned it, and it's been more ambiguous in the show, um, which is cool to have it brought back into the picture. I think another reason that it's important is that it's a Valyrian steel dagger, so the more of, of those kinds of weapons they have, the better, As you know, especially in the north at this point. So it's... We'll see. I, I think uh, there's a very specific reason they brought it back and that they're they're focusing on it, but I don't think we've seen the last of it at this point. So, well, it was also in it was also in the book that Sam was reading. Uh, in the Cit- in the Citadel. Yes, it was. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like, like I remember because he was like flipping through pages, and I was just like, "Hey, isn't that that dagger that you know the." person used earlier to do the stuff it's important so anyway oh my god i think a lot a lot happening up in in uh winterfell it's it's a little bit stagnant to me right now there's there's some it's a losing a little bit of momentum i'm hoping that in the next episode or so we have something actually happen there and we'll get to that later but i want to jump over to king's landing briefly there's not a lot that happened in this episode but we did see um, a pretty important scene with Cersei, um, and uh, I think his, his name is Tycho from the Iron Bank. So at this point, we we find out that at the end of last week's episode, obviously uh, the uh, Lannister army took out the Tyrell army, and now they have all this gold, and they brought it to King's Landing, and that actually made it into King's Landing, and uh, they will be paying their debts as they do. 
Um, but they, they name drop a specific uh, organization uh, that she's looking into hiring uh, called the Golden Company. Um, and this is another thing that they've touched on in the books, but has also been teased in the show. Um, so what do you guys think? Do you think that this, this Golden Company could be uh, an a, a important asset for Cersei? Or is this something that is going to be uh, a little bit more complex than, you, than we think she is hoping for? Um, well, first off, I just wanted to say that I really thought when they were showing that Cersei was going to pay her debts when it, once they got the money back in, I had a feeling that something was going to happen during that. Um, I thought there was like that was a really big foreshadowing moment. Um, but as far as the Golden Company, I really think that they're a mercenary group and they've been flipped before. So I'm, I'm, I, I could definitely see them flipping again to the highest bidder or the people who they think are going to win. Which is interesting because, you know, we see all these different kind of factions come and go. And, you know, the ones from Essos, obviously, you know, we know more, you know, kind of the least about. Uh, I'm curious to see um, what act. So correct me if I'm wrong. They got the gold to King's Landing, right? Correct. They were leaving later in the episode so the gold yes. has been delivered yes from high garden they yes. they put the gold in first okay yeah. I, I there was so, like a specific line that said we have the gold but the rest of the army is straggling or something yeah, like that the uh, yeah. uh that angry guy uh tarly tarly right? yeah. so elder tarly so Sam's elder dad. elder elder tarly hooks up the gold he's taken care of um good on these Lannisters for paying their debts. Do we have a number of how much they gave? Do, did they ever say that? I feel like I was looking for that. I didn't find it. I think they said it was sizable. Yeah. I thought, it's, I think they, it's, they didn't mention it in the, the episode before. Uh, they may have, but it's sort of irrelevant. I think at this point they, they've said that it's a huge number that the, the Lannisters, they've never been received, have never received such a debt payment from anyone. So I think it's a, a very large number, but what it, what it actually means doesn't really matter. <laughs> sure. So, like, so Kyburn, he's now totally in Essos. You know, another, you know, allusion to this whole idea of how far everyone's traveling. Like, last week, Kyburn was there. Now, Kyburn totally gone in, es in Essos. You know, Jamie has taken high garden and left <laughs> which is you know, yeah that's quick that's quick uh they really moved i okay so glad to see braun i love braun he's awesome oh yeah yeah he's my favorite and i loved that scene with uh braun and jamie where he gives him the gold he's like i want a fucking castle He's like, you're not going to need a castle right now. You don't want Highgarden. It's bullshit. <laughs> you get to pick any castle you want after the fact. Uh, that scene alone, I was like, oh, shit, we're losing some people. <laughs> uh, any thought? Any other thoughts on that scene before we get into the other stuff? Uh, the only other thing I wanted to, to make note of, with the Golden Company at least, is that historically Jorah Mormont has had some relationship with them in the past. Um, and as we know, he's making his way from Old Town probably to Dragonstone. So if Danny gets wind of uh, Cersei trying to get the Golden Company, I could see there being a side mission for Jorah to, you know, convince them to go over to Danny's side. We'll see if that actually pans out or if it's just 
speculation at this point. But Dan, do you have something you want to chime in? Well, yeah, just uh, because Braun is such an interesting character because he is very, he gives off the air of being very self-motivated, but then he also does show these little moments of caring about people, um, which, you know, is kind of like whenever he says like, oh, you can, it's like you'll get a castle, whatever, just do this stuff or take the gold and go. And he just like sticks around anyways to help out to like, he's the first one to fire the shot in the Blackwater. Like he's, he plays such an integral part in, in, in kind of all these little play in all these little movements. He's kind of like the warrior version of Varys, like to me in a lot of ways, like he represents the people, like he's, he's a fighter, but he's of them. He's not one of these, you know, highfalutin people. And he's just out there, you know, trying to fight in the game. You get and, you get ten points for get using the word highfalutin. <laughs> <laughs> ten points for Gryffindor. Aww. Aww. <laughs> um. Okay. I want to talk about before. I know we're going to talk about Danny and John, but there's a scene where uh, John takes Danny, uh, Daenerys into the what do you call it? Into the the, the caverns of Dragonstone. And they have this very awesome Stargate, middle of the movie, lost kind of, you know, moment where they do see the, you know, the pictograms of the past from what John tells Danny to be the, the children of the forest. Um, first of all, how did the children of the forest get down there? Yeah. <laughs> they're everywhere, man. Because <laughs> they, they're everywhere, man. They, got they a, were they there took a before boat. man were. Yeah. And... Did John not just draw those himself? I don't know if he's that good an artist. To be fair. <laughs> that would be that would take a lot of scraping. Yeah, yeah, I think that would have taken some time. But oh, it was definitely really interesting to see all that and to see the connections between uh, the Children of the Forest and the White Walkers. Um, you know, the way that the the White Walkers have used uh, body parts to to make some of these symbols. I'm hoping we get more explanation for some of this stuff and that it's not not just background. Um, but I do think it influenced Danny a little bit to understand that there is some truth into what John is saying. Definitely. He's not just some crazy gay. What we have listed here is, uh, you know, there is the showrunners have confirmed that there is definitely an attraction. Um, yeah. And Frank wrote, do we want this relationship? <laughs> um, Frank, no. I want you. I I want not, you to expand upon this because you have, you've you have some feelings. You got yeah. some thoughts. So, as as we probably talked about many times already on this podcast, um, as John was making his way south to Dragonstone to meet Danny for the first time, and and now that they've been there for several episodes, it it it's understandable that there are these two young, beautiful people in the same room in a hot little cavern and there, you know, there's some (laughs) tension already. So to add some sexual tension, I get it. But as the audience, it's very uncomfortable because they've already teased with Bran and the tower of joy that John has most likely some Targaryen blood. And, you know, we'll see when they actually expand upon that and, have John learn all of this, have other characters other than Bran learn all of this. And so as an audience member, I it just makes me uncomfortable. I know that we have incest on the show already with uh with Jamie and Cersei, but you know, 
do we really need to go down this road again? I know that the Targaryens have a history of doing this, but I, I just I don't think that it's it's necessary. I think we've got the two of them. They can make some sort of alliance. I I I'm, I'm doubtful that John's going to actually bend the knee at this point. I think they're going to have some more sort of mutual agreement, but that's my stance. I really don't want them to ship. But what do you think, Dan? I mean, I just you know, John's got a pretty uh, pretty good history of girls in caves. So I mean, you know, <laughs> he sure does. That's about it. I don't know. Cave people, dweller. Yeah, <laughs> people keep talking about it. Like my brother and sister-in-law were watching it with me, and they were there was a moment where they were like standing really close to each other, and were, and they were just like, kiss, kiss, kiss right now. Kiss. <laughs> To be fair, like, you could probably do that whenever two faces are really close to each other. I mean, yeah, you just, you know, fight, fight, fight. Kiss, 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 <laughs> kiss, no keys. You know. No keys. <laughs> uh, but Chris, you were going to say something, right? Uh, I was just going to mention what Frank said about how they mm. do have a history of, of of incest. And it's usually not like brother and sister. It's more... Yeah, like cousins. Like cousins Targaryen or, on Targaryen action. Which, yeah. as, a, as a note, they would most likely not be brother and sister. They'd be... Aunt no, they'd be like co- third cousins. No, they'd they'd be they'd be cousins because uh, Rhaegar was her brother. Her brother, yeah. So, so Chris, that, does that mean that you are against a relationship between them? No, I mean I think that I think that they're trying to hint towards that because they they I mean they literally it's a song of ice and fire, and they're literally ice and fire. Like they that's that's already been said that they're ice and fire basically. So like I get I get it. I mean. I don't know if it's – it'll probably go farther than just them hinting at it, but well, I don't have say, a, a you, problem I'm sorry, with you, it. Well, you could say that just Jon Snow is ice and fire because he's, you know, like the north and the south Targaryen and um, – Sure, but I'm just saying uh, Melis- Melisande like, literally said – that they were ice and fire meeting. Oh, okay. That's true. Right. <laughs> so. You're right. You're right. Yes, she did say that. Well, she's so been wrong when, before, but, you know. <laughs> no, you're not wrong. <laughs> we won't hold that against her. She's a nice lady. She says she nice things. I mean, yeah, she only just she's killed not a, a little nice girl lady, and actually. stuff. You know, that's <laughs> no big deal. Totally okay. Davos says she's not, and so I believe Davos. Oh, uh, well. Dude, he's been so good. He's been he's so awesome. good this season. He has. It must be cool. Uh, for, I mean... Davos, like, first of all, he gets to be the best comic relief ever. He gets to be the emotional core of the audience in a lot of times. And it, he, I don't know, he, I, I love him. He's one of my, Elsie, he's like a bald guy, so, like, I love him because of that, too. <laughs> uh, but, oh, my God. I love him because I don't have fingers like him, so. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I want to ask a question, though, because I think that they may have alluded to something even bigger that, either slipped right by us or it was just like may- maybe that th- this is what, what wasn't what she said so when uh Danny and John are talking in the cave and it, he's like I can't bend the knee it's not going to happen like I have to be for my people and she's like but you can be their king and you can do this and like still be that is she allu- alluding to the joining of some houses and the fact that John could become kind of i don't know if they're going to be you know both monarchs simultaneously i don't know if that's how it works but is that what she's saying here i kind of felt that too i kind of agree with you that that she was alluding to that but then she didn't really follow through with it right yeah 
Um, so like keeping him as maybe a king in the north and, and Danny being a queen in the south sort of thing, uh, whether that actually means John reports to her or not, but if they've, they've a lot aligned themselves together, then that that's something that we feel like she's already alluded to. I, th- I mean, I think it's possibly she could be alluding to the fact that they could get they could just have like one of the arranged marriages when she left um, to go to. Um, I almost said Faerun. I've been playing too much Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, <laughs> <the> Nerd. <laughs> uh, whenever she left to go to Westeros, she was um, she said that she may have to, you know, marry into some other families, you know, just just solidify alliances and whatnot. And this would probably be the best arranged marriage you could probably have, which is sure. just saying. The, the only thing the is, North. though, that yeah. but he's also considered a bastard, so it's not like she'd be naming, going for the name. She'd be going well, but, for the ruler, but she's kind of the same kind of ruler. So that, yeah, exactly. I, eh, I don't know. All right. Well, we'll see what happens with them. Um, so I think it's time to, to dive into the big part of this episode that I think we're all sort of itching to talk about. Um, what what the, the showrunners have dubbed as the loot train battle. Um, probably could have had a better name, but That's it a is great what name. it is. What are you talking about. <laughs> so no, it was no, it was the epic loot train battle. Oh, and that was way better because it's like got the epic loot. <laughs> epic loot. <laughs> so epic loot. We pick up towards the, the end loot. of this episode with like we see Jamie and Braun and Dickon and. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they're 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 starting to move, and they're like, okay, let's get everyone. He's a fancy moving. lad. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I think as an audience, for me, it was like instantly, okay, that's a Dothraki horde. The the fuckers are coming. I, I was so hyped. It was <laughs> so intense. It was terrifying. It but, was terrifying. For like five minutes, you just heard a low rumble. Yeah, <laughs> it, it just built oh, the tension, and then you finally see Danny fly in on Drogon, but talk about how you can actually have two sides that you care, I mean, at least personally, care equally about, you know? Jamie has become such a sympathetic character. Bronn, we've just raved about how much we love Bronn as a character, but we also love Danny, and Tyrion is, is on her side as well, and we've got Tyrion stuck right in the middle. Like, Danny makes a really good point. Does Tyrion have an alliance problem here? Because he really does care for his family. But he cares for his brother. He cares for his brother. That's true. Yeah, he doesn't care about anyone else. He fucking does not like Cersei. <laughs> I don't fucking like Cersei. Nobody does. <laughs> Some people. Jamie do. does. Oh yeah. Jamie does. Jamie. <laughs> oh yeah, he does. <laughs> but so. Yo, I go ahead, Dan. Yeah. No, I like. I just want to. I know it's like kind of. It was at the end of the episode, but like, man, I thought this was where we were. He was. I thought this was where we we're gonna lose Jamie Lannister. I, I thought, thought it, we did. I I don't we I don't know if we have yet. We don't know, but like no, I, I mean, thought like, it was. Sorry, I I I thought like, like I mean, literally, except for the last two. If you take away the last two seconds of that episode, he is gone. Yeah, it's basically, <laughs> like he was he was running. And that, that armor looks heavy, boy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. He's also got that big that metal hand. That's uh, not. You can't swim. That's not good for swimming. <laughs> good for swimming. <laughs> well, so let's let's get into it. So this is some of the the best action I think we've ever seen on this show. The the 
the effects. I mean, they there was a, a thirteen minute like post episode recap that they did on it. Like, have they outdone themselves? Like, they've had some epic battles before, Hard Home, Battle of the Bastards. But in your in your guys' minds, is is this the, the peak? Yes, I'll tell you why. <laughs> because Flat, this yes. uh, this was done in the daytime. All these other great battles you remember from Game of Thrones, uh, you know the fir- uh, the battle at the wall, Blackwater, when you're uh, Battle of the Bastards. You know it's it's in the north. It's significantly darker. Um, I feel like a lot of the Game of Thrones battle sequences, major set pieces, take place either at twilight, dusk, or in the darkness. And this was one of the first battle scenes we've gotten, or the first battle scene we've gotten that's completely in the daytime. And you can see the carnage. You can see all of the great, uh, you know, visual effects paying off and playing out in a way that you're actually watching a huge army battling a huge Dothraki horde and a huge dragon all at the same time. Now, if you take the battle last season where they're on the boats and she burns the boats, sure. But that's not really a fair fight. And the reason why this is a fair fight is because they have the scorpion. And whether or not they're using it correctly, they have it. And we totally saw that it's effective when when used or when implemented. It's not necessarily your uh, golden gun or your silver bullet. But it's absolutely a uh, deterrent towards the towards the dragons, and I think that you know one of my favorite aspects of this this um, battle is it totally reminded me of uh, Battle of Minas Tirith in uh, Return of the King that you can see what's going on, you see the epicness, you are experiencing all of the the bat like they the great. Uh, handheld walk moments where you have brawn and you're following brawn in the fire and the uh brimstone as everything's going crazy around him just like very similar to that walk uh walking camera shot with Jon Snow in the Battle of the Bastards like it's they implemented that innovative style but um, in immersed in all of the amazing epicness that was uh the loot crate train battle and I just dug it I think that it this definitely just from this battle alone let, uh, even though the Arya and Brienne really does factor into how much I love this episode this episode is a classic definitely top 10 definitely top 5 and I don't know how they're going to top this going forward because show me some white walkers but we're never going to be able to see them as good as we saw the dragons roast up some uh Lannisters on the fields of battle um, I think the thing that makes this one really good for me is because it's really the first time that you get to see. Oh God! Speaking of terrifying monsters, it's Samson. Oh my God! <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but no, but it's the it's <laughs> it's the first time that any so far like they talk about uh the this Targaryen girl who has dragons all the time in Westeros ever since the rumors got over that she had them but that was the first time that anyone had actually seen there are dragons in westeros so like it's kind of that oh shit moment where jamie's standing there on the battlefield and he just hears like he just hears like the flapping of wings and the Roar! 
<laughs> of the dragon oh, has totally yeah i mean and yeah, all of the my brother just said that's the setup for the dragon coming in right there, yeah. um, because that's a. It was just like oh, it, you could see on everyone's face they immediately just went, well fuck I'm I'm done it's I'm dead I'm basically dead, so, oh, I uh, it was terrifying. I well first I I loved he, like when I just heard the low rumbling I was like. Oh, is that that's the Dothraki horde? We finally get to see him do it. Like we've always been hearing, like about how, like if the Dothraki horde comes to Westeros, they're going to fuck shit up, and they did, yeah. and it was they awesome. Did. They fucked a lot of shit up. But my other favorite thing that I really liked about the the whole battle was seeing you got to see just how fierce fighting the drag like the dragon was because you got to see. I, I loved, not loved, but I liked, I loved seeing just like after they got to, like torched to bits, they were just like ashes standing there, like where their body was and they would just blow away. Like just to show you how hot it was. Yeah. yeah there was the one part whenever the dragon's kind of just flying along the loot crate train and it's just like <laughs> blowing stuff up. Like oh, it's, yeah. it's just shooting fire and things are just exploding and burning to ash and it's just like there used to be a whole bunch of stuff here and now there's nothing because dragons oh man dragons dragons Dra a dragon. dragon there be there be dragon which <laughs> which is crazy so like she literally only had her dothraki horde and a single dragon and you know she did this out of revenge anger yeah. fear suffering she's got to the dark side guys no but um she <laughs> this is like not her at her most powerful either you know like no. she's she's lost a couple battles in the past few weeks but this this is proving that she has you know some strength beside on I her mean, side I mean at this point are there really any Lannisters left like any Lannister army cuz well, half don't... of most some of it got destroyed when they took Casterly Rock and then wasn't this the rest of it that just got destroyed not the rest of it, because that was this the that was the army that they left there to kind of pillage the farmland and get the grain from everybody else, but not like the whole Lannister army. I'm sure most of it actually probably went back to uh, King's Landing. Yeah. Oh, shit. I agree with Dan, but also if Cersei's buying the gold comp Golden Company, I think it's possible that they're gonna have reinforcements pretty soon. Yeah. Um, yeah. And obviously, she also has Euron Greyjoy and his whole fleet. Like, obviously, that's mostly on on water, but it it's still um, numbers. He's and, and he's a douche, and he's he <laughs> clearly can douche. he clearly can do some damage. Um, but yeah, I mean, to see the Dothraki, you know, basically run circles around these guys, like they literally, yeah, yeah. I mean, they they seriously know how to ride horses. I think that was some of the coolest horse riding. On yeah. screen ever, you know the, oh, the, yeah. the battles like, absolutely. That they shooting from the arrows like on their seats, yeah, like yeah. standing so on their cool. horses. That was, that was awesome. awesome. It was so cool. Um, but let, let's quickly talk about implications of this and and what's next. Um, so obviously, the, the way this episode ends is we see Jamie trying to go in for the kill on Danny, maybe making a shot at Drogon. We'll see, and then getting knocked off his horse. Probably by Monarch Ron. Slayer's got a Monarch Slay, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> not yeah, just King Slayer anymore. I think anymore. it was. I was. Th I think it was Dick on that knocked him off the horse. Like that's. I, I that's... think it was Braun. It's totally really? Braun. It's oh, gotta no. be Braun. It's gonna but be Dick on cool. You guys are what gonna it, owe me five like, bucks. 
Like, <laughs> it'd be kind of cool, though very um, improbable, if it was Tyrion. Yeah, I, I think the guy's move. body looked a little big to be Tyrion. Yeah, whatever I, I don't... yeah, but I think it would be kind of cool. It would be. It cool. would be That's funny. all I'm saying. I, I really think it's Bronn. But... So, let's take a vote. Is Jamie dead, or is Jamie going to make it into the next episode? I think he's alive. I think he's alive. He's... He's alive, but he's not long for this earth. He, they're not going to... I think he's going to last a lot long. I think he's going to survive Cersei. Be, because you just said that he's going to die in the next episode. That's <laughs> probably true. On that. Fair enough. I mean, I, I still feel like there's a story to tell with Jamie. Um, it, it doesn't look good for him, but I, you know, if he got knocked off... How deep could that, that water really be? Come on. like It's in the middle of a it's field. It's probably just a puddle, and he's just being dramatic. Totally being dramatic. <laughs> it, it, looked, it looked deep. But uh, you, you can never – I never underestimate the chaos this show creates through plot, and I would never underestimate them killing Jamie to make Cersei even more angry, evil, um, upset, and let her go even you know, 10, 14 times beyond the Mad King of the – the lengths that she's trying to go in order to maintain the Iron Throne. So I I don't know I I don't know about that. I I thought it was um, ugh, it was so it must be so conflicting to have been Tyrion in that moment to be sitting there and you're watching this battle unfold. Which you know obviously Jon Snow must have explained to Danny. You know you kind of have to temper your uh, cool your jets here, my friend. Uh, it's yeah, you can go and you know myrtleize everybody over in King's Landing with your dragons, but is that going to win you the Seven Kingdoms? Probably not. So I think that it's interesting to see that they're uh, absolutely going for uh, th- this kind this kind of a path forward. And I, first of all, I loved the shots of Bronn trying to fire the scorpion at Danny, like. Like you never get that in Lord of the Rings. You never get that in other pieces of fantasy or fiction where two of your most favorite, likable, lovable characters are about to totally kill each other and you don't know who to root for. Like that whole – because you're like, well, you want Bronn to live. You don't want him to get burned to death, but you also don't want to kill Drogon or or by extension kill Danny. So like I don't know. I – it was just so awesome and we totally yelled at the end of the episode and I rewound twice uh, after it ended just so I made sure I got how I felt it ended down completely. Uh, Shayna totally thought that Danny uh, burned herself from the dragon fire even though it was very close but she is the unburnt and then she's also in the preview for the next one so she's fine. She good. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, that's a good transition. Like, for next week's episode, titled East Watch, um, I think a lot's going to happen. It's not going to be good there. (laughs) It's not going to be good there, but I think we're also going to get some of the aftermath from this battle here. Um, Obviously, in in the preview, we get a little bit of of, uh, Danny and Tyrion uh, talking to some Lannister army people. Whether that includes Jaime Braun, we'll see. Um, But... Uh, yeah, I mean, it looks like we're heading north to Eastwatch by the sea, um, and <laughs> I, I think shit's going down. Um, 
what what do you guys think? Uh, do we think that this is going to be Tormund's last stand? <laughs> no, man. Her and Brienne, are, him and Brienne are getting married, so can't be. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Those are some of the best scenes in this whole this whole series. Has been the way that Tormund. I want someone that, to look at me like Tormund <laughs> looks at Brienne. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My girlfriend says yes. <laughs> she she grew a beard and just and just started. Yeah, and she just her, started uh, looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so okay, so Tormund he's up there, but there's like nobody they can send to help him at all. The hound, not really. The ha- okay, the hound. They're heading there too. They are heading there. Yeah, it's true. They are heading there. And but they can't like, die. Also... D- Dundarian can't die, so we're good. Well, well, he can't die, but he just comes back after. He's basically a White Walker. Basically, he's a Fire Walker. <laughs> but he's not a Fire White. Fire not, White, yeah. Not as much as uh, not as much as uh, uh, the other Stark is. What's his name? Yeah. Uh, what's his? Yeah. The. Uh... Have you guys been following the credits? Have you guys been watching the opening credits to see the wall? Oh yeah, that it's that that the uh, that the the ice around east watch like how there's no riv- there's no like water yes. around it cuz it's all frozen over cuz it's winter time and that it looked like they changed it this past uh, this past week it looked like the shivering sea was less totally frozen over it was interesting did you notice that frank i saw it it was still pretty frozen um i think it's probably enough for the white walker army to make it across and not yeah. have to go over or under the wall um, and obviously I think the other piece to it is that Bran has a vision and, and knows that they're coming. Um, so whether that means that Jon Snow is all of a sudden like, I need to get up North and get back to my people or, or what happens there. But, you know, obviously like we all said, Tormund's wilding armies up there. I don't know if that means anything for any of the other nice watch members. If any, if they're going to send any of their, uh, their members or, whatever you want to call them across to the east um but i I do think that we're getting another big battle you know it's this this season has been delivering it's exhausting yeah (laughs) big battle after big battle it's it's epic but um any other thoughts for next week guys anything else you want to see for the rest of the season um we were we were talking about we were talking about benjen stark Ah, benjen stark yeah benjen stark it would be neat if they somehow bring him back in because he's a very interesting character. Because he obviously, I mean, I don't, I can't imagine his only role was saving Bran. But he can't cross the wall, though, can he? He can go around. At the least wall. as long as the magic. So what about? I mean, in the same way that the White Walkers can't cross the wall, he can go around the wall. Maybe that's a, that's I don't know. That's such. Walk. I need to know some more about the wall magic because that's like. Because I <laughs> thought that. What is this I, wall magic? <laughs> what does this wall magic use? No, because I think that. What I was talking to my brother about was that um, since Benjen couldn't cross the wall and the Three-Eyed Raven Raven alluded to the fact that he couldn't cross the wall, like, do you think that because Bran crossed the wall, he may have, like, dis- disenchanted it? He's Bran the Breaker? Bran the Breaker of, of magics. Yeah, I, I think there's more. To, I think next episode... And we need a big brand vision because it's been kind of quiet so far. Um, but I, I think they're going to allude a little bit more to the fact that because Bran crossed the wall, that 
it may have affected the magic. But also, as we've seen with with all the Hodoring last season, there is uh, he's able to affect the past in some way. And so there have been theories out there on the internet that is Bran actually Bran the Builder as well? Is is there a little bit more to that story? Um, oh shit! Yeah, that's that's super interstellar of this show. If they did that, that would be crazy. So meta so meta that's cool i just i don't know if they have enough time to explain it all in a a neat uh doc brown kind of way um <laughs> oh well that's it's not gonna be in a neat doc brown kind of way <laughs> i just look like as a writer like the the exposition in that cave with the pictograms like i love that that was like one of the first times they've really done plot relevant stuff on game of thrones like you learn about the weirwood trees and the gods wood and you learn about all the different the children of the, the forest, you learn about them and the, it's exposition. It tells you a character's backstory or like a race's backstory. But like I felt that like this past weekend, if you have no idea about the books, you never even knew there were books. This was your first time maybe hearing some of this other stuff about the connections. And I, I, I just dig that. I dig where the show is going. Do you guys have any, like, fears? One of my biggest fears and my biggest prediction for this week was that Yara Greyjoy was going to be myrtleized brutally. We did not see that yet. I mean, it's going to happen, dude. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, gonna, I'm still <laughs> holding out on that one. Uh, do you guys have any predictions for, you know, the end of the season or, uh, you know, the next few episodes that you want to float out there? Um, I could kind of see... I could kind of see... Um... I could maybe see Danny keep getting the red keep by the end of the season. Mm-hmm. That's, a bold, that's a bold, that's a bold statement. But that is it. very, it very is. feasible. But I could see that being the last episode of the. I just think they were, they were talking about a, a, a Grey Worm Mises relationship too much in the last episode. So Grey Worm's gonna die. He's gonna eat it. Oh, totally. Like, yeah. Grey Worm is he's toast. Going. Yeah, she gonna get it. Um. Yeah, I uh, maybe she. Mm, Maybe Davos would get it. Score I hope one not. For the ball guys. <laughs> nah, he better not. Yeah. <laughs> he better not. <laughs> well, if Davos dies, we riot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, one of the, one of the Lannisters is is not long for this world. Whether it actually turns out to be Jaime, I, I think it's Cersei. I, I think she's she's gonna she's gonna go Mad Queen style. Um, the only thing I I don't think that is because of just the way that George R. R. Martin writes. It, it he does like he doesn't always let the 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 good guys win, you know. No. Yeah. And that would be like then it would just be the true. He they would be battling against true true evil at that point, not like the kind of hit more neutral evil. Yeah, if that Lawful makes evil. sense, like the. The Night King is like just evil. Like he doesn't. He's he's just evil. Like there's nothing. Yeah, yeah there's he's like, yeah, there's, he's no, there's only one people. opinion yeah. you can feel about the Night King, and that he's evil. Right, and that's that's what makes so many of the other characters more interesting and more sympathetic. And you know, some of the complaints that we have in other you know like the Marvel movies and stuff like that is you need to have a side that you you want to not necessarily root for them but you know feel for their their motivations whereas right now with the the night king unless we're gonna have a flashback episode we really don't care about him we don't want him to win it's it it's not important to us but it is important to us to see at least for cersei and some of the other lannisters that have been villains in the past 
you know, Littlefinger even, we want to see them get to a point that at least we can live with. AJ, they can have a redemption moment. A redemption moment, exactly. AJ, do you have something? I did. I We didn't talk about it at, at the top of the episode, but I feel it should absolutely get a mention. Um, so last week, uh, m- the Monday after Game of Thrones uh, Season 7 Episode 3 came out, it was reported on uh, July 31st that HBO got a massive, massive hack job done on them and that people are people cannot wait yeah. uh, for the episode to come out. And then later in the week, uh, it was an Indian uh, affiliate that broadcast Game of Thrones in India that leaked out episode four. Uh, do you guys have any thoughts on the hacking? Do you guys care? Also, did you watch the hacked episode? Um, and Or did you guys watch with regular uh, everybody else? Uh I was I watched with everyone else. I was I did have a little devil on my shoulder who sent me a link to it was just like, Hey, have you seen this? And I was like, What is it? And I was like, Oh god, this is the link to the new Game of Thrones episode. Get get that out of here. I don't wanna Good for you. I don't wanna watch that. But <laughs> you, you know, on my sho- there was a little devil on my shoulder being like, But you could see it early. Like he would know what happens. You would know But then I was things. also like, Oh god, then I would know what happens and I don't wanna and I wouldn't be able to tell anybody about it, so no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> I did not watch that version. I waited until Sunday, and I watched it with my my brother and sister-in-law. Yeah, and it's like, then you'd have to wait longer, too. You know, if you actually watch it I early, know. then, well, what about episode five? Then we, we have to wait. We, yeah, that's, I have no Unless they release all the other episodes, and then well, we're all just yeah. kind of. I, I rather roll with the way that they're trying to, to market the show and go with what they're trying to tell us. Um they've done a great job so far and you know teasing things along and you know leaving us with cliffhangers when when it needs to be leaving us with wins when we need to have them um it's unfortunate but it also shows like like we said at the beginning of the episode people love this show and they eat drink and breathe it and they want more Uh, it's kind of a shame that it's coming to an end so quickly um because you know the showrunners are, are kind of done and, and they know where they're going with it. And, you know, there are even rumors that it may not even air until 2019, which is going to be agonizing, but, Oh my God. But, you know, at, at least, at least we'll get it. Whereas book readers aren't going to get it ever at this point. So, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Chris, do you have anything to add on that? Um, I mean, not really. I just, I wasn't able to see the hack. So I, I, okay. and I'm trying not to do that. Don't do it. Oh, uh, yeah. Don't do it. It's just well, and also I'm I'm in a so at work we're doing this this Game of Thrones Deadpool and we have a certain amount of points we can bet every week on and there's odds based on on um, the odds of people dying during that week. So probably Tormund's odds this upcoming week are going to be not the best. It's <laughs> not looking good for our buddy out there. But um, so that would that would be that would be not fun to to cheat on that. But yeah. I guess it kind of would, but. Quick shout out, uh, Danny Fanati is also doing one of those Deadpool's. Uh, oh, we, cool! We all love Danny Fanati. Um, so, who did you who did you uh, bet on this week? Did you did you get any points, Chris? Uh, I bet on the field, which was a couple people. Um, who else did I, I I bet on Yara, and I keep betting on I keep betting on Grey Worm, um, but that hasn't helped me very you, much yet i think you'll be successful yeah. next week <laughs> i think gray worm and and yeah yeah i've been betting on on gray worm and, and yara and that's not working out for me yet awesome 
Well, you know, this has been great. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that we got to have part two of the crossover event with the Game Brew Podcast. Uh, you know, this Ooh. has been so much fun working with you guys. I hope we can do it again. Um, yeah. You know, this Game of Thrones season, as we've been saying, has been super exciting, and we can't wait to keep chatting about it. AJ and I will be back next week to talk about episode five. Um, so just want to, you know, tease ahead here at the the next part of this episode, we are going to be inserting a previously recorded conversation uh, with the remaining members of the Game Brew podcast. Uh, we've got Ian Richard, Alex Ryder, and Will Shell, also JMU alums that we all, you know, hung out with back in the college days. And uh, so th this, this conversation is going to be driven on the good and the bad of uh, when video game properties uh, expand out into other mediums, like take their IP into movies, books, TV shows, etc. Uh, it's a great conversation. Please stay tuned. It's a lot of fun. And go check out the Game Brew podcast. We did kind of the inverse of that on their episode where we talked about IPs that uh, went into video games and the best and worst examples of that. So uh, stay tuned for that. And again, thank you so much to Chris and Dan and AJ as always. And we can't wait to uh, recap next week's episode. Thanks so much, guys. Thank you. Well, thank you. It's been a lot of Thank fun. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Thanks. See ya. Thanks. See ya. Bye. Hey, everybody. We've got something really special for you. Uh, recently, we had a crossover episode with the Game Brew podcast, some of my buddies from JMU. Uh, so on this episode right now, we've got Ian. hey -o! And Will. Hey. And Chris. Hi. And Alex. Hey. And Dan. I'm last. And of course, we've got AJ here as well. Hey, everybody. How are you? Welcome back. Another great episode. It's the aftermath of the great crossover. The reality gem has been bestowed upon the universe. This is the best crossover since Marvel vs. Capcom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No. It's, also, it's also to be said that we're, we're, we're all fairly fairly sloshed at the moment so <laughs> yeah really. one of the things about the game brew podcast is obviously it's named after drinking beer so we've been drinking the lindemans frambois lambic and i think some of us have also moved on to some other things but uh <laughs> so other beers other beers everybody uh well yes yes very specific <laughs> if one you say the, so Dan. <laughs> uh segments that we had on the podcast with the the game brew was uh good examples of IPs that transitioned into video games. So for this kind of reverse segment, we thought that we would have a conversation talking about how games have transitioned into IPs, you know, whether it was a, a video game that had a movie or, you know, made it into books or comics or anything like that. So Bizarro world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to kick it off, uh, I'll just kick it over to Ian. What is your example of a, a game that has transitioned into an IP? Okay, so somewhere along the line, we've all played a Castlevania game, right? Fuck yeah. Oh, yes, of course. So I'm like an original Castlevania for the NES player, also Castlevania 2 and Castlevania 3 were big games in my life early on. A day or two ago, Netflix released a Castlevania anime. Did yep. you guys see this? I did. No, I did not see this. Is it awesome? Okay. I, thought it was I thought it was fucking awesome. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I would say it was uneven. 
there were parts of it that were brilliant. The last episode, the last fight is really, really good. The first three are, they're good in spots and not so good in spots, but just the fact that they pulled off a Castlevania anime is awesome. The characters are cool. Um, and it's all straight from the game, and it's really neat too. Things that I noticed: there's platforming in the anime, and there's also he also picks up a bunch of different items and chucks them at people all the time, which is so Castlevania in the video game. But it, <laughs> works, it works perfectly. So it was it was cool. If you've got it's only four episodes, and they're each like 25 minutes long. It's yeah. like 80 minutes total. Yeah, it's like so a movie. Go, like. Just yeah, just go watch it. It's super fun. Um, it's it's not Shakespeare, but it's cool. It is. I should say though, for our younger listeners or for people who are easily offended by gore, there is some legit like anime gore in there to the point where I was like, Ugh, I don't know. If yeah, I it's a little. Watch this. Well, there's it's also a, a, a kind of strange conversation about goats and people doing things to goats. Yeah, there is a conversation <laughs> about, there, about, about carnal knowledge of furry creatures. So, so <laughs> I'm kind of surprised that you know this this came up. It came out of nowhere almost. So why do we think yeah. that this was a success? And what what should other game franchises take from it? I think what was great about it is that they took the main aspects of the Castlevania franchise, so the Belmonts and Dracula, and fleshed out their story to a degree that we haven't seen before in the games. Because there's so much there to dig into but it was only ever really hinted that at. And so they had a real opportunity to to make it more into a story. So that's what was great about it. They did a really good job keeping the characters the same, which I thought was brilliant. And um, and putting little tidbits of combat stuff in there to where if you played the game, you'd be like, fuck yeah, I did that with a whip too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out. I, I still haven't, but I'll, I'm sure I'll find an hour here. I think it's also them trying to grasp onto the fact that I'll, I think that in a way, anime is getting a little more popular, especially like seeing stuff like Attack on Titan. I don't know if you guys watch a lot of mm-hmm. anime or not, yeah. but Attack on Titan's getting very big. And I feel like, and Netflix has a couple of their own anime series. And I think they're also trying to bring in other segments that, yeah, maybe they're not super into anime, but could be because they're into these other things. And it's yeah. kind of trying to cross those, cross the streams, if you will. Yeah, I, I... I think anime is a really awesome thing. I I loved Cowboy Bebop. Like I think that's always like the mm. yeah. Cowboy Bebop. Um, like I, I I don't know. I think it's interesting because this is definitely the other side of Gozer's Temple in uh, Ghostbusters. The other side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so many Ghostbusters references. <laughs> it's really hard to get a game to be a movie or a game to function in a different, you know, part of media. For sure. People identify so much with games and there's there's such a big emotional attachment to the characters, especially the ones that you're not introduced to from the beginning. So, you know, I think that one of the reasons why so many of these games come out in their movie iterations as lesser versions of themselves is not because of poor filmmaking or, you know, studios trying to make money. That's always going to happen. I think it's that people are playing it safe. I wish that the, the game developers would put more investment and time into recreating their own movies, kind of in the same way that like Todd McFarlane has been so adamant about Spawn the past uh, few years and now mm-hmm. has his movie at Blumhouse going full steam. Right. Yeah. I, I wish that there, there could be more involvement of people who made games to be able to 
take their babies and make them into cinematic adventures for the rest of us. I think a lot of the early struggles with turning video, and by early, I mean in the past years, talking about Assassin's Creed, World Warcraft movie, uh, the Final Fantasy movie, whatever it was oh, called. Oh, Spirits Within or something like that? Spirits, yeah, within, yeah, Spirits within. I think there's two things. Number one, as gamers, we get super attached to characters and we think they're ours. And when anybody does anything different with them, we are very, and by we, big we, we are very vocal about letting them know that they screwed up. I'm up and hands. so when you wade into that as someone who's writing a film, you you have to understand that. And I think what, what the people who have been making films are like, oh, well, the guys, those people just play those games because they like to, you know, like stab people and punch stuff and see explosions. Like, that is totally part of it. But the other part is we actually really care about these characters and where you the movie developers and producers screwed up was you gave us watered down version of characters and tried to make movies have gameplay. Movies don't have gameplay. We want the characters. Unless you're Castlevania, then you need to have platforming. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to agree with that, except for what was that game? Uh, or it wasn't a game. It was a movie and it was entirely first person and you just beat the shit out of oh, stuff. Oh, it was yeah, Hardcore Harry hardcore, or Hardcore yeah. Henry. Hardcore oh, yeah. Henry. Oh, man, that was fun. That made uh, me so dizzy. But I was gonna, I was like, gonna ask Frank and AJ, uh, especially AJ. He seems, I like you, AJ. I relate to you. You're like a story guy, and I'm a story guy more than a gameplay person. Do you think? Do you think that the transition things get lost in translation because in a game you're in control of that experience, and you feel ownership over that, and you feel like that gets lost in a movie, and that makes it more difficult to like that medium. That's a perfect. Uh... Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. I the thing for me is, you know, watching uh, you know someone like Michael Fassbender, who apparently loves playing Assassin's Creed. <laughs> you know, and we see him in these other films, and you know, he he does you know really great. You know, I love him doing Magneto. I could watch that forever. Uh, but yeah, to see him like be such a big proponent behind this movie and to be producer on it. And to not kind of carry, you know, what I would probably see is, uh, I would hope for a little bit more out of someone who liked it. You know, like, I, I, we all want better stuff. And there's no way that any of us are ever going to be able to experience how we put the character as our avatar of us playing the game. So, yeah, like, I, I completely, uh, I'm, I'm there. Uh, Will? I think we're back at Dan real quick and then Chris. I have an ulterior point from what we talked about earlier, so I'll concede to Chris because he had some vehement points. Video games are a much longer experience. You're exposed to them for a much longer time. If you're playing a Final Fantasy game, you're going to play it for 40 hours. If you're playing for basically any any shooter game, it's at least eight hours. Like Even like even the shorter games are, are only at least eight hours if you try to put the character development and the world building and all of that and try to focus it into just two hours or two and a half hours, you're, you're not going to be able to do as much. And I think that that's where a lot of things fall flat is because they aren't able to develop all of that within the time limit, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that the bummer is that while there is so much storytelling that happens over eight hours, there's ways to wink at it for the fans and make it work well, like how Scott Pilgrim kind of does it, mm-hmm. and and it build upon kind of the the fun parts of gaming that you know make it distinctly separate from 
uh, cinema, you know, where you can really break the rules and really take them in a, you know, in a totally different way with the repercussions that are uh, proposed. Uh, do you guys think that, you know, I, how is, how are movies ever going to stand up to when movies become video games in VR? I can't like even imagine what this is. And like, that's why player one, ready player one looks so awesome to me. Alex, you're very excited. <laughs> yeah, I got to go to GDC this past year. What's GDC? Game Developers Conference out in San Francisco. Oh. And I haven't played this, but the Westworld VR experience. Yes. So with the VR experience, you actually get to be inside of that world that they created in the HBO series. And I think that this is a perfect example of that stepping stone of where things could go in the future. And at the same time, this was an interesting case because Westworld is almost like a living video game in a sense. Uh, and so this was a interesting platform for them to test this idea out with. But yeah, it's, it's a major stepping stone. From what I've read, this is only the first little toe dip of HBO exploring the VR world. They have been doing a lot of R&D in the VR space for many years before they started developing the Westworld VR experience. I think that's going to take over. I, I can't imagine how movies at a certain point are going to be able to compete with that. It's interesting, though, because like this is this is a, a game based on a show based on a movie <laughs> so you know it's based on a book no based, no, it's based, based on a based on a based... ride in disneyland right it's endless i don't no. know <laughs> well, it, it was no it was directed by michael crichton I, yeah i don't yeah, think michael he... crichton wrote the original and then he movie. wrote jurassic park basically kind of off of that right and then yeah. they did jurassic park as a movie <laughs> right <laughs> Uh, there's, there's a Westworld movie. There's, it's like a TV no, no, yeah. movie, right? No, they they did a movie back in the 70s. Yeah. They did two yeah. movies, I think, back in the 70s. So my my thing is, AJ, you've been asking how are movies ever going to compete with VR game experiences, right? Yeah, man. I I think I'm not there. I think gaming and movies are a different thing, and they're almost always going to be different because there are things that we want to participate in and then on the other hand there are things that we want to see or observe passively and participate exactly passively participate versus an active participation and i think there's always going to be an audience for passive participation in media so i don't think the the, the movie has much to fear from video games even vr video games i think the film as it is right now has a lot to fear from vr film which is also going to be a huge thing. Are you talking about 360-degree film? Yeah, 360-degree yeah. film, exactly. Well, Alex. and to go off of that, my experience of playing VR and also working with 360 film and working in that medium, I'm finding it difficult to be able to have a full experience in those mediums. They're still kind of gimmicky at this point. And I, I say that meaning like, when you sit down and play a VR game, you're not going to sit down and play six straight hours or five straight hours sure. of a VR game. Like you're going to play for 20 minutes and you're going to take the headset off and readjust your body because your body's going to be like, what, what the hell did I just do? The technology is quickly coming along and we're going to get to that point. 
especially in film, the problem with virtual reality right now is it's very difficult to tell a story in a full sphere around you. In film, it's really easy because you have this rectangle in front of you and you're like, hey, person watching this, look at this screen. This is what you should focus on. When you're in that VR world, it's more difficult to get the person in that environment to focus on that story and not be distracted by everything else around you and have that same experience. That's interesting. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see where this goes with VR, but um, I kind of want to kick it back a little bit to game properties becoming other IPs. Dan, let's kick it over to you. You had a couple of examples that probably weren't great, but I think they're worth talking about anyway. No, I did. (laughs) I do have a few examples. Uh, The first one, basically every fighting game that's ever been created. Like, don't make movies. There's no there's no story to a fighting game generally. <laughs> but like, like, you I, can think, try I think the hardcore Tekken people and the Injustice yeah. fans out there would be a little bit upset you said that. Well, okay, okay. Injustice well, doesn't count. Injustice doesn't count. That's okay. comic books. And there is a Tekken movie. Yeah, and there is a Tekken movie. Not good. Um, the... Is it bowling in it? <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> but like, I mean, like, there's been three Mortal Kombat movies. At least. Yeah, three Mortal Kombat movies. Too, too many. The first one's pretty bad, but good because it's bad. The other two are just bad. There was a Dead or Alive movie. If you don't There was a Dead or Alive that, movie? There was a Dead or Alive oh movie. Oh my god, that's hilarious. It's really bad. I think Jamie Presley was in it as the girl with the America bikini. I don't even remember what her name was. I just remember the America that, bikini. That was her name, actually. That <laughs> sounds like something for like 14 to 17 yeah. year old That's boys exactly what to it's just for. To watch yeah. with the volume down really low at like eleven thirty at night. <laughs> that's that's but yep. it's door cracked so you can see the light in the hallway come on. Oh right. wow! But it's like there was a Street like, Fighter film too. Yeah, there was a Street was, Fighter. I film. I think there were at least two Street Fighter movies. Yeah, there were. Um, but it's also there was a Double Dragon movie. Yeah, there's Double been, Dragon. There's like, has there been a Battletoads movie? <laughs> oh my god! Don't, don't, don't say that. Don't say that. They might make one. Don't say uh. it. That's the kind of thing where it's like, come on. The yeah, there's no story. They're just trying to cash in on property. Oh, hey, yeah, I was like, oh hey, people like Mortal Kombat. Let's make a Mortal Kombat movie and see who goes to see it. Because that's it's basically just we want the money from these people who like this thing. You know what's funny? is that I feel like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles should also fall into that same category, but the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies, I remember them being awesome. I mean, I haven't seen them since I was a kid, but I remember well, them being super they cool. were they were a TV show slash comic book before that, too. They were, but the comic book is not at all the same as the TV show. It's totally different flavor. They just took the turtles who are ninjas part. <laughs> yeah. So so it's, it's like a, t- a cartoon that they turned into a game that they turned into a movie. Yeah. Alex? That kind of segues into what I had written down, Angry Birds. The Angry Birds movie made almost $350 million at the box I office. I can't believe that. I can't How did that happen? That's insane. It's because that Thanks, game, Obama. <laughs> the game has been downloaded over 2 billion times. Everyone uh, has that goddamn game yeah, on their phone. Right. It's true. It's on my phone ah! right now. When you can create that massive fan base you're going to make money from them some way or another, no matter how good or bad the movie is. But th- those games don't have a story at all. So it's like back to, to Dan's point, like 
the fighting games don't have any story, but they can't make a movie out of them. And then the Angry Birds movie makes all this money. I haven't seen it personally, so I can't necessarily speak to whether it's good or not. But obviously, <laughs> it's not. I'm looking up the Rotten Tomatoes. Hold on, Dan. Do you know this for a fact that the Angry Birds movie is not good? Yes, it has a 44 percent freshness rating. Well, I can say that I have seen it, and. I did not like it because the story that they did put together for it was very disjointed. There were giant holes in it. and Maybe the Angry Birds blew those holes. I was going to say that. But I, I was trying to find a really good way to say it, but I I didn't come up with it in time. So, <laughs> we still love you. We do. So I'm going to kind of transition into to mine here and guys go with me on it. So no, please. I doubt it. <laughs> so Pokemon, I, I know it all kind of happened at once, but Pokemon yeah. was a video game first. And sure. I'm sure we all remember like 1998, it just exploded and it was everywhere with the anime trading card game backpacks and Cartoon. just everywhere. And obviously then great. we also had anime movies. So it makes me wonder if there's a, a strategy there in that, they have a, a game, but, you know, also an, an overall plan to launch it into an IP. I think they did when they first did it. They had an idea that they were going to make everything for it, you know? Man, that's marketing genius, though. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm going to disagree with that. That was such a new off-the-wall thing. I think you can have hopes and dreams for that. But, but it was released in Japan before, and it was effective there. Yeah, but when they launched the thing as a whole, like when Pokemon first got started, it's like, well, let's see what happens here. So you're, you, I'm speaking in terms of Pokemon overall. You, you seem to be speaking in terms of Pokemon America. I think there's a point there. I think the developers of Pokemon were really thinking ahead, because if you think about what the elements of Pokemon are, right, especially in 1998, like Beanie Babies were the shit in 1998, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So basically they made a game that was Beanie Babies. You gotta catch them all. And then once the game caught on, they were like, well, we can sell these fuckers everywhere. Like, let's make cards. Yeah. Let's make... Yeah. Let's once make, the game caught on, catch them yeah. All. yeah. What I'm saying is they designed a game that had this huge roster of adorable monsters that that were really likable so that immediately lets them be able to say like okay well they probably were thinking about toys first honestly like okay now we can sell you know action figures and stuffed dolls and stuff and then when that when that blew up then it was cards and, you know oh for sure like who came up with pokemon the pokemon company <laughs> is there game like freak. a guy game freak game freak it's a it's a team of people like because they all kind of work together in creating you know, they were developing the game and they had to create all the different monsters. So I don't know if there's a necessarily a singular guy like there is for some of the other Nintendo games, but... According to Wikipedia, it's Satoshi Tajiri. So he's My man. Like Walt Disney of our time in a lot of ways. Because... Yes. Well, he's like Japanese non-Miyazaki Walt Disney. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Um, but... You know, he thought in the future and who knew that these little fucking cards were going to be that expensive and then all the video game success that they've had. and Which, by the way, they're still real great. Yeah, they're still yeah. great. And they come out with one every year and they've got over 700, 800 different monsters now. It's crazy. To be fair, some of them I are real dumb. I just want one on my, my God, Switch. I didn't know that. I just want one on my Are there seriously that many Pokemon? 
Yeah, some of them are real dumb. Some oh of them are just God. like a candle. There's <laughs> candles. There, there's a garbage yeah. can. Or it's a ghost yeah, Pokemon. They're, they're or like there's like they're a sand castle. The laziest, there's a the laziest one is like, is Ecans and it's a snake because Ecans is snake. It's first it's Ekans. Whatever. Arbok is Cobra backwards. I, I love Pokemon Go. I've been playing it all the time. But they're making another Pokemon movie. They always are. They're they always are. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be Pikachu. Who is Detective Pikachu? Who's like a character in Japan? Who's like, oh, so God, it's like because uh, they kind of did that with like the Pokemon Mystery Dungeons. Oh yeah, that's what this yeah. is gonna be. It's Detective Pikachu who's yes. helping out some characters in real life solve their Pokemon problems. I am down. I will Just get be there. I will, Danny DeVito yeah, to I'll voice Pikachu. I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> that Pikachu's gonna be so cute, man. Oh my gosh. Yeah, who would they cast as Pikachu? Well, I think right now it's just in Japan, <laughs> and then they're trying to make it into a U.S. movie. So I don't know. Uh, I don't think they've cast anyone yet. Oh, but... it's a Japanese movie. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So we'll That's see. That's even Michael Fassbender is Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> what if it's like a film noir, but like with Pikachu, where it's just like there's saxophone oh in the background, oh, but like the movie like, uh, always smoking a cigarette, Can like we... the game Heavy Rain, but, but with I'm Pikachu. A harder, but I'm a harder Pikachu. Can we have Liam Neeson as Pikachu? Liam Neeson as Pikachu. <laughs> um, a particular set of HMs. <laughs> nice. So I, I know we've we've kind of run the gamut here from the the good, the bad. Are there any other video game franchises that anyone wants to jump in uh, that yes. they they feel yes. like is a success? Yes. Go ahead, AJ. Why hasn't there been a Donkey Kong movie? Make me the Donkey Kong movie. Not wait, 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 wait. We're stepping ahead hold on, here. Hold on, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Donkey Kong was in the Adam Sandler video game. Pixels. <laughs> Thank you. There was also a TV show, if I'm not mistaken. And, was. and wasn't there like a Donkey Kong-esque version of um, some the Disney thing? Bust it, Bill, break it. Bob, what was his uh, name? Break it, Wreck it Ralph. Wreck it, Ralph. What? I can't wait to see. Bob is the Chinese I, I was going to say, I can't wait to see those shitty Chinese knockoffs. Break it, Bob. But you know, I mean, Donkey Kong and Pixels is more like a cameo. Like, what do you do? You, do you have like a story-driven movie that you want, AJ? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I What's his story going to be? He steals a princess and is kind of shitty. A bunch of bananas. Like, yeah. I want it to be like he's like a, he's like a dad. He's, he has Diddy, you know, his mom left or whatever. Oh, so you're talking dead. about Donkey Kong 64. Donkey Kong. Kong. I'm talking about Donkey Kong Begins. <laughs> Donkey Kong Begins is him being shitty and stealing Peach. Essentially, and Peach. throwing barrels. And throwing barrels. Well, like, maybe he's, like, dealing with it. We learned why he wears the tie. Like, he smokes cigarettes now. I don't know. No, that's no, a, I think that's there a good point. I can go down you a dark road. AJ. I think the um, I think the Donkey Kong Diddy Kong dynamic could be really powerful, especially for gaming people, because there's like a father son thing there, and and now gaming is a father son thing. Sorry, Dan, I talked all over. No, it's it's fine, but there totally was a Donkey Kong Country TV show that was like all those characters, like it had Donkey Kong, Diddy Kong, Cranky Kong, Candy Kong, all of the Kongs, Funky Kong. Yeah, they were show like me, show me like the the Planet of the Apes Donkey Kong, like Ooh. Planet of the Apes, like, like I'm down. <laughs> That'd be sweet. Like, let's swing from some trees and throw barrels and things. I just, I'm down. And then, you know, 
going off your point that Donkey Kong is in Pixels. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just saying there was <laughs> Donkey Kong. Because Pixels is, I mean, maybe it's best not to talk about it. No, no, no. That's a great point. Because I think it's interesting that we get to decide which cameos and, like, which iterations of the IP that we choose to acknowledge. Like, I didn't know that there was a Donkey Kong TV show. Like, but there is, of course. And there's Pac-Man in uh, Pixels that everyone hates, but there's Pac-Man in Guardians of the Galaxy that everybody loves. So, like, mm-hmm. how does a movie like Ready Player One, which is about to do things with IP that we've really never seen before, like, we've seen Avengers, and that's kind of one thing. The Dark Universe, if it ends up being what it will be, like, they've already made those Wolfman and the Frankenstein anyway. So, like, I the think... The Yeah, this is something new that, they, that they've never done before. Do you guys think that there is a uh, a limit to what makes a good use of IP in another uh, entity, like a Guardians of the Galaxy or a Pixels or whatever, that make them memorable or not? What is the differentiation? Like in, in Guardians of the Galaxy, are you talking about like Howard the Duck, that being good or like? Sort of. I mean, that's a cameo from, you know, their existing property. That's kind of an Easter egg. But, you know, the, the Pac-Man usage is is a little bit more of a... I see okay. a crossover in that in that regard, and yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think Ready Player One. It's it's interesting because it's coming from a book that is based. Well, have, on, you, have you all read it? I have not. I, I haven't. I have you not should first off. It, well, it's kind of like it's kind of like the gamer's version of Twilight. Oh, that's but, a good way of putting it. That's actually. But wait. But like way better. Like it's it doesn't it's not as shitty as that. Like it's it's actually I really thoroughly Whoa. enjoyed it. Sorry to people that like Twilight, I guess. <laughs> but like I'm I'm interested to see if they're going to use the same IPs that they use in the book. Because in that they also use a lot of anime IPs as well. Oh totally. I don't know if we're gonna get all of them, but I think we're gonna get a good amount, uh judging by Freddy and Hello and Iron oh, and Giant. Iron Giant, yeah. Like yeah. you get, there's gonna be a lot. So does anybody else think that there's like a limit here? Like I don't think it's just a cheap joke. Like I think that they use that they use Pac-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy in such a more appropriate way than to make him this big marketing animal. That well, is, they're not really marketing Pac-Man anymore because that's not people are like, oh, we need to sell Pac-Man at this point right they're selling nostalgia yeah and like i'm sorry i yeah i i think what you maybe you were about to say was that i think what worked about it in guardians of the galaxy was that it was kind of like something that related to star lord to his past and it was kind of like seeing him still connect with that earth part of him i guess basically so it's not just a a cameo easter egg for the audience it's something that means something to the character and it's I think that's what Ready Player One is going to have because it's integral to the story for for those things to show up. Yes. Yeah, I love mashup culture. Like, I want to see more of this. I want to see more of my movies team up. I want to see more of my, you know, TV shows and movies crossover. Like, that stuff is all good to me. I, I just hope that, you know, we can learn to use it more artfully in, in, the, in you know, using this example. Awesome. So um, I, I think, uh, Chris, have we covered the games that you felt like were a good transition into IP or, or do you feel like you have another the, example? Uh, the only one I really wanted to talk about, um, I don't know if you guys have seen this. It has, it's been on Netflix for a while, I think. It's called Halo Forward Unto Dawn. And it's kind of a lower budget sci-fi film. And it doesn't really show a lot of, it has a lot of the Halo elements, but it doesn't have 
it doesn't feature Master Chief the entire time. He does come in for a little part of it. Master Chief is is the main character of Halo, the Halo series. <laughs> if, in case people what? are wondering, <laughs> for for those of you who just woke up from your cryos, <laughs> hey, hey, I'm just I'm just trying to be a nice guy, and you're being a dick. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was a it was a really enjoyable movie. I really liked it. It was kind of low budget, but it did what it did really well. I have not seen it, but I also haven't really played any halo but I, I do know master chief I, I will give you that but that's good so i mean do you think <laughs> that that's a Sniped. a movie that people that haven't played the games can they appreciate that like would i appreciate that movie um maybe i couldn't say definitely or not i think i appreciate it because it was cool to see the stuff that i enjoyed from the game on the screen and like seeing vehicles from that end and seeing master chief so i i i don't know if i can definitively say that or not yeah i'm not a big halo person i like the games but hearing that i'm i'm not in any way motivated or excited to go out of my way to go and see this because it's it's just not something that i'm that depthly attached to cool well it sounds like we're all at least watch castlevania because that sounds really great yes but um so whips and stuff. well you know this has been so much fun we have a lot of great content for everybody first crossover between the Game Brew podcast and Long Lost Heroes podcast. Stay tuned for more in the future, hopefully. Heck yeah. Ian, you want to plug your stuff real quick? Oh, yeah. So me and Dan and Chris and Will and Alex, we are the members of the Game Brew podcast. We feature a beer every week, and then we talk about awesome stuff happening in gaming. So games, and we try and go beyond the screen and talk about deeper titles. You can find us at the gamebrew.com you can also find us on facebook twitter and instagram at the game brew so you can find our podcast on itunes and google play so like and subscribe share it with your friends and um thank you so much for having us frank yeah, yes no, thank you thanks this for coming so on thank thanks you. for having us on of course and uh you know aj and i we should be back next week as well as always you can follow us on twitter instagram and facebook at llh podcast you can uh go find us online at longlostheroes.net and email us at info at longlostheroes.net and subscribe to us on iTunes. And so we hope you enjoyed this epic crossover, video games, movies, comics. We've covered it all. So thanks so much, everybody. Beer, especially (laughs) beer. And I'm going to finish this one too and really, really enjoyed it. So thanks so much, everybody. Bye. 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 Bye.